Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word. Be blessed. Blessings today and blessings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the last chapter in this wonderful letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian believers. And the overall, overall theme is examining yourself. The last four chapters in chapters 10 through 13 has really been focused upon the spiritual battle that is going on for the spiritual life of the Corinthian believers. Some of them have been led astray by false apostles, men that have a different gospel and a different spirit, and Paul is going to war with these men not in a physical battle, but in a spiritual battle. And so we've studied those in chapters 10 through 12. And now we're coming to the conclusion of this letter. Paul's getting ready to come to them again shortly, and he's asking them in advance to examine themselves. So let's start by reading the first four verses. I'll start off. Alan is with me, and my wife Laura is here as well. And I'll read the first four verses. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance that those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. In these verses, there is a strong warning, and he's asking them, as we go through the whole letter, the conclusion of this letter, to examine yourselves. And he's coming to them a third time. He was with them for a year and a half on the first time. He had a quick visit later, and now he is going to be coming from Macedonia, and he's coming for a third visit. And he says, every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And he's going back to the law. And when we look at the law, everything has to be backed up. Everything has to be confirmed. You cannot even bring an accusation against an elder or against anyone except for the basis of two or three witnesses that can back up what you are saying. So he is saying, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so he's coming, and every accusation that has come against him and everything that has been said by the false prophets, uh, the false apostles, I should say, has to have confirmation in what they are saying. Paul is coming with a team as well, and he knows what he is speaking can be backed up by the people that are with him to confirm everything that he has said and done in the past. This is a spiritual battle that is going on for the spiritual condition of some of the believers in Corinth. He says in verse 2, He said previously, 
And now he is saying again the second time. He said when he was there the second time, and though he is absent, in advance he's going to speak this as well. That those who have sinned in the past, and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. These men that were sinning in the past by standing up against him falsely, bringing false accusations, looking at things through the lenses of immorality or through the lenses of the world and not through the word of God. He is saying, I'm coming and I'm not going to spare you. You say that I'm strong when I'm writing and meek when I'm in your presence. Now we're coming and we will see what's going to take place. Verse 3, since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me. Now, this is saying they're questioning his walk with the Lord. They're questioning that the Messiah lives with him and is backing up what he is saying. And who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he, Christ, was crucified because of weakness. He went to the cross. When you look at the cross, you, you look at it and you don't see this as the power of God. Where is the power of God? Yet he lives because of the power of God. In the resurrection, people look at the cross and they think of weakness and failure and the lack of success. But what is the power of God is that in the cross was the perfect sacrifice of Christ and the grave could not hold him down. And the resurrection is the power of God that is confirming that everything that he did in weakness, now he stands in power. For we also are weak in him. We live that same life. We follow that same road, is what he is saying. Yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. The same power that's in us is directed towards you as well. And there's also a warning here that towards you will be the power of God that will come against all of these false teachers. And we look at these four verses, and there's a positive way to look at it, and there's a warning to look at it. For the Corinthian believers, the power of God that is directed towards you will confirm who we are. And the warning is this, that Christ who lives in me, who went to the cross in weakness, was raised in the power of God. We walk in weaknesses, but we will come to you in his power, the power of the resurrected Lord that lives within us, and this will be demonstrated towards you. This is a strong warning against these false apostles. Yeah, I really like how Paul, you know, he's dropping these really deep sort of spiritual principles about spiritual warfare, but he's also practical with it. You know, he's very pragmatic with what he's saying. You know, he's, he's saying, yes, this is a spiritual battle, but he understands accountability. And then he also put accountability in there when he was talking about the offering. So not only is it this spiritual battle that they're fighting, but he's also telling you real world things that you can do. And that's what I really appreciate about Paul. It's not all heavenly, head in the clouds, this other dimension. You know, we live in a real world where there's real things and there's real issues such as accountability. There's real issues as, you know, optics, what people view you as, even though you're not doing something wrong, how they view you is important. And Paul sort of understands these and gives the Corinthians not only spiritual lessons, but also says you can do this practically because when I come, be ready. And if there's not two or three witnesses, I have two or three witnesses, you know, like you said, with his team. So he already understands that and is prepared for it. So I really respect that. Yes, I agree with that. And think about the accusations these false apostles have made. 
He is weak when among us, meek, I should say, and strong when he writes. They couldn't make an accusation against the offering because, like you're saying, Alan, he set it up with good accountability. And first of all, it came from them in the first place. It was their their desire to do this for the believers back in Jerusalem. They questioned his physical appearance. They questioned his speaking ability. They're coming after him because of all of his trials and all of the persecution that he has gone through. They really do not have any accusation at all against Paul. Yet they're trying to set themselves up above him and to be in a position of authority to take advantage of some of them. Remember, I've said it many times, going back to the beginning of this letter, the majority stood with Paul. So we're talking about some false men within the church that are trying to develop a following of some of them, and they really do not have a genuine accusation at all against Paul, Titus, others that are with him. They are walking in the same way, with the same mentality, with the same approach with ministry. And if these, some of them would look back, it's very, very clear who represents God and who doesn't represent God. And I would say this today for us. It is very clear if you know the Word of God and if you look at things through the lenses of God's Word, it is very clear who represents God and who doesn't represent God. Who's out for money and who's doing it because of their love for God. So when you look at this, it is very practical. And he is saying, I'm coming, you better get ready because the power of the risen Lord that is in me is going to be directed towards you. Now look at the next verse. Now he's speaking, I think, to these leaders, but he's speaking to the church in general. Verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So I think he's speaking to the church in general, and he's saying, you need to examine, you need to test, see if the Holy Spirit resides within you. And you need to look at things and examine your own life and your own walk with the Lord. And he says, unless indeed you fail the test. And that's, again, a strong warning in general to the church and those that are getting wrapped up into this. Verse 6, but I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. That is not arrogance. That is not pride. Paul knows how he is saved, who he belongs to, what his calling is all about, and he has that confidence and that assurance of who he is in Christ and that the ministry that they're doing represents Christ. Verse 7, now we pray to God that you do no wrong, Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. What is important to Paul is that they do the right thing. They listen to God. They listen to his word. They listen to the spirit of Christ that is within them. And his focus, like always, is that they do what is right. That's the whole focus. It's not about whether we are put on a certain position or not, or you lift us up. It's about them doing what is right. Verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. 
So Paul is fighting for the truth. And again, it's not about him. It's for the truth of the gospel and the truth he wants to see abide in them and to stay with them. This really gets you thinking a lot about the modern church as well, where people don't like to confront and everything's about encouragement. But if your heart is for the truth and your heart is for people, then you cannot back down. Yes. uh, Think about what Paul says to Timothy in his last letter in 2 Timothy. Timothy preached the word, encourage, reprove, and rebuke. It might not have been exactly in that order. But the three things that he is explaining to Timothy, that when you preach the word, is reprove and rebuke. Encouragement is great, but it's only a third of what Paul is saying to Timothy. That when you preach the word, sometimes it's rebuking, sometimes it's reproving, and it's also encouraging. I say the modern church today, it's not even encouragement, it's more tolerance that they're promoting. Because encouragement is an encouragement in the things of God, in the ways of God, and to build up the body of Christ. And sometimes the reproving and the rebuking has to be done in order to bring about encouragement so that we can be built up in the faith. So the modern church within Western cultures is more about tolerance as defined as love, tolerance as defined as encouragement, and it's in a totally different context many times. Yes, but I I agree with that statement. And let's continue here. We are in verse 8 again. Let me read verse 8 again. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. And as ministers of the gospel, as ministers of reconciliation— As ambassadors of Christ, and I think that speaks to the whole body of Christ, we are fighting for the truth at all times. Verse 9, for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. So I think the weaknesses here is going back to all the persecution and trials and everything that they have suffered to bring the gospel to them. And they're not wanting to see that take place within their own children. What father and mother is saying to themselves, I want to see my children suffer. Nobody says that. Here, Paul and the others are wanting them not to live like they've had to live. So he says, for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. They're going through everything that they have to go through to bring the gospel, and they're not wanting to see them go through it, but it's in order that they can be strong in faith. This we also pray, that you be made complete, that you do not fall for these guys and what they are saying, but you be made complete, and we know that we stand complete and that we are complete in Christ. Verse 10, for this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. He's writing this so that the Corinthians will look at it, read it, and say, this is what is right. This is what we need to do. We need to get away from these men. They are slapping us in the face. They are trying to have spiritual authority over us, and they don't represent the same gospel that Paul does. 
And so he's writing to them to get away from these men so that when he comes, these men will have been put down. They no longer have any influence within the church and hopefully would have led to repentance on their part. So he's writing in advance, Sam, when I come, I'm hoping that this is dealt with. It's very similar to my father when he would call and he would say, you need to do this, this, and this. And if you don't do it, you're in trouble when I get home. <laughs> this is what Paul's doing. I don't want to come in severity. And I, and I knew when my father got home that there would be severity if I had not accomplished what he wanted me to do. But it's coming out of a heart of love. And it's coming out of him developing me. Paul is developing this church. I don't want to come with a belt. I want to come down and have fellowship with you, build you up. It's not for tearing down all of these things. I, I will tear them down, but let's do it in advance so that when I get there, we can build up the body of Christ. That goes back a little bit what we talked about at the first of this uh, letter, where he mentioned he didn't want to come after sort of that correction, which what we assumed was from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, with the sexual sin. He's gone over it in four chapters. You know, he wants them to get the point. So when he gets there, he doesn't just have to keep rehashing this and confronting it. You know, he's really confronting it strongly here. So yeah, I, th I agree. It's like a father. You don't just want to come and see children that you haven't seen in a couple of years and just have to immediately get get after them and have this whole trying to set things straight. You'd prefer that it was done before so you can get there and encourage and enjoy some time with them instead of come and correct. Yes, a father comes home from work. He wants to come home and spend time with his family, his children, relax, love on each other, build each other up, and have a time of refuge in his home. He doesn't want to come home with the belt. The father that wants to come home with a belt and slap someone in the face, which the false apostles were doing, there's something wrong with that individual. you got to look at the condition of the heart. So Paul is saying, I'm coming, and we're going to deal with this, but listen to me now. Get it right now. Abandon these men and get back to the basics of what you need to be doing. Verse 11, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete. Be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is what he is wanting to experience, and he's wanting to see from them in advance. This is the same thing, the same principle for the body of Christ today. Listen to this verse again. Brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace be with you. That is a body of believers that is unified under the authority of Christ. Greet one another with a holy kiss, not with an unholy kiss, but one that is proper, that honors God, and one that doesn't represent the immorality of the culture in which they're living in. So I think it's very important that he says, with a holy kiss. Men would kiss men, women would kiss women on the cheek, it was a holy kiss. It was a greeting. Let everything be done in decency and with respect. The notes in my Bible describe this at that time period as something usually reserved for family members. So it's really kind of sweet to think of the body of Christ really does become your family. And we've experienced that in many churches where we've attended or served. You feel as close as your family and so excited and you 
hug people. Here we don't kiss as often. We more hug, but we hug with the embrace of family, and that's very unique. Yes, and a hug that is respectful, a hug that would honor the Lord, a hug that would be in modesty, a kiss that would be done in the right way that a family member would embrace someone else. And so we are a family, and I I do agree with that note. It does represent that we are one body, one family, and we need to be in unity and peace. And this comes as we're doing what is right. If you're not doing what is right, then the congregation is divided. And when you're through meeting, what happens? People just leave. One of the best signs of a healthy congregation is that when the service is over, they're not leaving, but they're staying around, fellowshipping, embracing each other, talking to each other because they're a family. They're close to each other. So I do see all of that involved in what is being said. And he says, all the saints, saints, which is literally holy ones, greet you. The other believers that are saints, holy ones. Now remember in the entire Bible, That Old Covenant, New Covenant, people that are in a right relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God, are called holy ones, called saints. And so the saints that are in Macedonia, the saints in other places, holy ones, they're not declared a holy one by some denomination or by the Roman Catholic Church or by the cardinals or the bishops or by the pope. That's all nonsense. We are called holy ones, saints, because we're in a covenant relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we stand complete. Through him we are made holy unto God. So all the saints greet you. It is not elevating them. It's elevating the power of the gospel. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What an incredible ending that he has here. I think in this ending, this is his hope and his prayer of what's going to be the situation once he gets from Macedonia to Corinth. He's going to see this type of congregation in unity under the authority of Christ. Amen? Amen. Any last thoughts before we pray? I was just looking back, Scott, to test yourselves first. Right here, he sort of just flips it around. He says, you know what? Test yourselves and see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves instead of going into and picking apart each person that's attacking him and all the things he could get into. He's, he's just turning it around and saying, you know what? Test yourself because I know where my faith is, and I know that I passed this test. And I think that's powerful you know, for all of us when we maybe we start to see something or another leader in the church and we're questioning something and maybe it's it's founded maybe they are doing something wrong but before you know we even speak it it's it's good just to check our heart test ourselves test our motives and I know he's kind of saying that a different way here but that's that's sort of what I picked out of it to you know look at yourself before you're going and accusing other people's and then make sure your heart is right yes and I agree and I want to say one more thing that goes along with that There's a difference between arrogance and pride and a person that has confidence in the Lord. Anytime that you look at a person, say in the Old Covenant, like David, David's confidence was not in himself. It is coming out of his relationship with the Lord. I'm thinking about Psalm chapter 27, 
when he's at a desperate time in his life. But he's talking about, even though an army surrounds me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. When people are trying to come and destroy him and kill him because his faith is in God, you have that same type of situation here with Paul. Paul is saying, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord. It's his confidence and his relationship with the Lord that is giving him this understanding of how he can speak so strongly and so confidently to the Corinthian church. It is not a pride. It is not an arrogance. Pride and arrogance is when we have this mentality of self-sufficiency, that I can do it. I'm strong enough. I'm better than you. But Paul is glorifying in his weaknesses, and he knows it's the power of Christ within him that gives him the authority to speak to them with such confidence. Just as we come to the end of the book, thinking about the upside-down kingdom, Scott, you've talked about that a lot before, and how looking at the kingdom of God, it doesn't look like the world. So when you look at a nation, you might judge it by its strong leader or its many weapons, but the kingdom of God is judged by humility and weakness sometimes, and that weak and humble person has total reliance on God, and that makes them powerful. So when you evaluate situations in the church, we should be thinking about the upside-down kingdom. Yes, it's a different kingdom. It is a kingdom that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of the kingdom, and it's a kingdom that can never be destroyed. And praise God for that. And I pray that everyone that is listening is part of the kingdom of God. It's not important if you're part of the Baptists or the Methodists or part of a Messianic movement or part of the Presbyterians or anything of that nature. It is important that we're part of God's kingdom. And Christ is the king. And let's submit ourselves to him, his leadership, his authority and rule within our lives. Alan, can you close us in prayer? Dear Lord, we just thank you, God, for your word, Lord, and we thank you for this letter um, to the Corinthians, God. I pray, Lord, that this would just continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, even after um, listening and going through this on the podcast, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word, Lord, and not just hearers only, God. And we just pray that you would continue to strengthen your church, God, strengthen your body, Lord. Remove uh, the false leaders, the false teachers, God. And as Paul said, Lord, your truth will always reign, God, and your truth will always come to the forefront. So we just thank you for that, and we thank you for who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.